What's your internal success story? You know, the deep down beliefs you have about how big your life really can be. Is your internal story a big story? Or is it filled with fear and self-sabotage that keeps you playing small? When you make the decision to play bigger, you're also influencing everyone around you. Playing bigger requires a shift. The shift is what happens when you let go of the self-limiting beliefs that keep you from stepping into your authentic, powerful, beautiful self. It's a shift from the probabilities into the possibilities of your big, amazing life. My favorite conversations are when I get to hear how people shift into playing bigger. This podcast is your invitation to listen to others that have made the shift and also serve as a catalyst to explore the shift needed for you to play bigger. And no, I'm sitting right here cheering you on. You're listening to Shift Out Loud, the podcast designed to inspire you to play bigger. I'm Tracy Spears, speaker, co-author of two best-selling leadership books, founder of Exceptional Leaders Lab, but my favorite job is cheering people on to be their best. I love hanging out with people that aren't living on autopilot or being defined by some outdated internal success story, people that are taking up space and living their life to the fullest. My hope is that this podcast will inspire you, make you rethink your own internal success story, and give you the tools to shift out loud. Shifting out loud means things like changing routines, challenging your own self-limiting beliefs, and being more intentional in all of your relationships. It also means figuring out how to embrace your innate, powerful gifts and sharing them with the world. I've always been fascinated by why some people that come from dire circumstances can go on to live amazing lives, while others that have every single opportunity for greatness, and yet they don't even accept the invitation. Why do some people think that life is happening to them when I know for a fact our thoughts will determine our outcomes far more than anything that someone else says or does to us? I wear a bracelet every day that simply says this, it's on its way. It's my reminder that our future will be determined by the sum of our most dominant thoughts today. So the logical question is, what are your most dominant thoughts right now? Are they thoughts that are inspiring and moving you towards playing big? Do they make you excited to be alive? Do you jump out of bed every day? Or are they small and negative, making you think you're a victim of your circumstances or and maybe even full of judgment of yourself and others? In this podcast, I'll introduce you to people that have made some kind of shift to thinking bigger and playing bigger. I'll ask them specifically what they learned from that shift, and I'll invite them to share their stories so that we can all benefit from their experiences. I've heard some really amazing stories, gotten some amazing advice and insight that I know will shift you like it has me. And now I want to share some clips from a few of the episodes just to give you a taste of what to expect from Shift Out Loud. When I danced with Lucinda Childs, this was when my entire world expanded. And talk about visioning and shifting out loud. I was about to move on from dance. I was not loving all the companies that were asking me to dance for them. I wanted more. And so I decided to go on a backpacking tour of Europe. And how I did this was I found all of the companies in Europe that I wanted to dance with, and I scheduled auditions with them. So I toured around Europe with my backpack, auditioning to all, uh, for all the companies, and found myself in Paris, sitting in a cafe across from the Paris Opera House. And I was having cheese and wine and doing the thing. 
just looking at the theater thinking, that's where I want to dance. I want to dance at the Paris Opera House. Not knowing that that's where I would end up dancing. Come back to New York, audition for Lucinda Childs. And that tour for a year went all over Europe. Lisbon, Sintra, Portugal, Palermo, Italy, Paris. We ended up Vienna. I performed a solo in Vienna and ended up on the front page of a newspaper. And then we finished the tour at the Brooklyn Academy of Music here in New York. So in that moment, in that cafe, as I'm looking across the street, thinking out loud, I'm going to dance there. This is what's really important for everyone who's listening. How is not our business? How is not our business? When you choose to shift and you say it out loud, the how is taken care of from source and from everyone else who comes into your life. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. I know the times I've been pulled off my path. I was in the how business. Like, you know, well, how's that going to happen? And you and I have talked before, that book, The Illusionist by Richard Bach, where he talks about in the beginning, our job is to get in the flow of the universe. He likens it to the river. And he says, your job is to stay in the flow. But a lot of people get out of the river. They they get hung up on a rock. They stay there way too long. And so how do you stay in the flow? Like, how do you, I assume you've had some obstacles in your day, right? How do you keep that from, you know, being the thing that stops you? If I start to get busy with the how, I limit the possibility, which means I have to constantly go back to being in trust. And that is directly related to my level of risk tolerance. I have a very high risk tolerance. I am super comfortable not knowing the how, but when I start to interfere with the how or start to think I know more than the universe, then I limit myself. So it really comes back to, again, flexing the muscles here of being in trust, going back to the knowing of I am available to what is there for me. And it is bigger than I can even know. Now, I need to continue to think bigger, but it really requires me to always come back to the trust. That's a great question. For me, what that meant was I'm spending my energy in the wrong ways. Like I have acted as if I have an an infinite amount of energy and I really don't. And I also know that, you know, being super fragmented has cost me creatively. Oh, yeah. Like I think, right? So I think that I've been trying to do too much. If you called me and said, I, we need a keynote speaker on, you know, what did I, I'd be like, uh, get, give me a minute. Let me, let me, you know, we'll let Wally and I create that. And right. instead of just saying, yeah, no, I don't do that. Like, yeah. Just being able to say no more, that's filling me up a little bit more. So yeah. Yeah. For you, what did it mean? I think it's the same thing, especially as a keynoter or writer. People are like, well, could like we're like we're some sort of restaurant and they can just order off of, you know, could you make something special in the kitchen? Like that's not. No, I offer these three things. And if and and what I've learned is even the people that I say no to and they get more cleared in what I do, they typically come back later when they need the thing that I have and I can refer to people. And I, it's never, I always felt like if I said no, then the opportunities would just dry up, which is like an extreme scarcity mindset, which is not helpful if you're trying to play big, right? Like there's endless opportunities. You're fine. You just have to sit there and let them come to you. 
And I, I mean that it's been a long time for me to get to that place, but I feel very securely in that place now. But what you have and the presence that you have. And I remember at that summit, I came up to you and we were talking about sort of the pandemic. And I was like, I just got back from traveling. I really hate to fly because in my head, I see how much you fly and I think, oh, I could probably do more if I like to travel that much and also, you know, be away from the kids. And you're like, oh, I hate to fly. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you hate to fly and you fly that much? It was like sort of a revelation to me. Like, okay, there must be something driving you because I it really, I mean, I'm sure you're the same. It's got to mean something for me to get on a plane. It better be good. The money better be good or the the event better be good. That's true. I will say this. I am on a plane every week. I've been in oh, three days and I I think it's a lot of things. I think people associate, oh, she loves to do that. She she loves yeah. to clean. No, I don't love to clean. I love the house to be clean. She loves Ooh. to travel. I don't necessarily love to travel. I like to be wherever I like to go places. Oh, so good. Right? You know, so like, so there, the, but the travel ah. right now is such a grind with the airlines and all that. And yeah. I now know that's a shift too for me to be able to say, I don't think that one's worth it. So the travel has actually made me raise my price a bit. And yeah. as you know, when you raise your price, then everybody wants you. Like nobody wants a good deal. Right? <laughs> that's so true. And I mean, the thought of, of pricing yourself is a little bit chasing boats, right? So you can, because we're in places where people are asking for a price, we're like, how can we meet you where you're at, right? Instead of this is my price. I'm the lighthouse. You can either come to this or not. That's right. Well, give me the sense of the shift there. Why do you leave Disney? What happens next? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had taken some courses at Claremont Theology School. I've always been extremely interested in theology because we had a family with, you know, Catholics, Baptists, Christian scientists, Methodists. I mean, you, you can't name a religion that we didn't have a family member. And everybody thought everybody else was going to hell. So I was just very pragmatic. I wanted to find out which team had the best chance of not going to hell. Right? So I was taking theology classes. And one day while I'm at Disney, I get a call and they said, you've been awarded the president's scholarship at the Claremont School of Theology. And I said, I didn't apply for that. I, and they said, no, we don't, you know, that isn't how we do it. We think you'd be great. And I'm like, look, I am extremely interested in that, but I can promise you, I won't end up being a minister or priest. I'll come in and I'll learn about it and I'll get excited and then I'll ultimately move on. She said, well, don't worry about that. You just, if you want to take it, take it. Okay. So I left Disney to do that. Went to the desert, as I think is biblical, <laughs> to Palm Springs, and I began going to school. And I was with someone else, not my current partner. And I go home and I meet the love of my life, Cheryl, on vacation. Now my life is completely screwed up, right? I'm about to go into this theology thing, and I've got this bombshell-looking woman who's, you know, everyone thinks is straight. She's got blonde hair and splashy and so she, I tell her what I'm doing, and she tells me, look, if you think I am going to sit on the front row of the church and pretend we're not together, Cheryl is a spiritualist and an astrologer, and her parents were psyche. She's psyche. So that's the other realm from dogma and religion, right? And she went along with me to church a couple of times. And I remember in the Book of Common Prayer, we were chanting something like, I am but a lowly worm. 
And she said out loud in church, what are you saying? Where did you get that? I said, Shh, it's, you know, it's an old text. It's, and she's like, you cannot say words like that. They go in on you. And she was just appalled, right? Because her spirituality is so different. And of course, my mother believed that way. And over time, I just realized that Cheryl was my life. That's where I wanted to be. I liked her religion better than the condemning religions that I had been brought up in. And we set off on our adventure. And 32 years later, we're still at it. Oh, my gosh. So you leave. <laughs> good, good choice. And so, so far. And what? So you're now with Cheryl. You're in the desert. What happens next? What's the next well, shift? We were going to go back to Tulsa, where our families were. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to start a production company in Los Angeles. And I said, I've already done all that. I mean, I've been out there twice. I've worked with Disney. She said, that's what I want to do. Back we go. And we start a production company. We begin writing and producing movies of the week and selling development deals to big studios. And it's a very tough business, but we were there several years and had enough success to pay our bills. And then she got terribly ill, and then my dad got ill, and her dad got ill, and, and kind of the bottom fell out, and we came back to help, help the families take care of them. And after a couple of years, we ended up staying because we got into the lifestyle and the ranch, and I'm not sorry we did that at all, but it was quite a traumatic time. Uh, getting Coming from the television and production business and ending up in Tulsa, there were, there, at that time, there weren't, and that didn't mesh, you know. If you're still here, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review, and then tell all your friends. I want to know what inspired you, what your big takeaways were, and I'm curious, what will you go do because of what you heard today? How will you shift out loud? Let's do it again soon.